Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Good to be back in the seat. It's been a crazy four weeks or so running around different parts of Europe, getting to meet as many Bitcoiners as possible. We hit, as a family, the Amsterdam Conference Bitcoin 2022. That was awesome to meet so many of you plebs and host some of the panels there. That was such a great experience. And then we got across to the UK. We visited Bedford for a Bedford game. The one game they've lost all season. Uh, that is the second time we've been. It's such a great family event. Get over there if you're not too far away. Uh, it's definitely something worth doing. You, you get to meet so many great people and hang out with some plebs. As well as watch a bit of football. If you don't even like the football, it doesn't matter. Uh, families go so the kids are running around and the, the wives are chatting. So it's, it's all good fun. And then we get across to Silverstone for the Bitcoin racing meetup. Almost 200 people turned up. We had pupusas on hand for lunch and the guys put on a great show. Uh, there was a, uh, a podium finish. Liam came in second in his race. So that was amazing to see as well. Again, families, uh, you guys definitely need to put Orange Pill app on your uh, horizons. Make sure you're following them on Twitter because there's going to be an announcement coming out soon. Uh, I think it's a great project that they're putting together and I'm excited to see where it goes. No, it's not a dating app. Uh, anyway, you know where to stack. If you're not stacking by now, you should be stacking and you should be stacking with one of these companies, but you can do your own research. In fact, you are urged to do your own research. If you're in the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will get you a free 10 bucks. Across Europe, you can use Relay, R-E-L-A-I, dot ch forward slash bitten that will save you on commissions and you can uh, also head over to coin corner as well all of these guys great teams they've all been on the show you can go listen to interviews with Corey from swan julian from relay danny from coin corner and get a feel for these companies see if this is a service that you'd be interested in using once you have your coins uh, and your stack is increasing consider coin joining again i urge you all to do your own research this is a rabbit hole in itself it's pretty new to me as well i've been using wasabiwallet.io you literally just download that on your laptop create a wallet create a receive address and send across a few satoshis then the magic just happens it automatically joins a coin join for you and after it could be anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes or a couple of hours, depending on how busy everything is and the Tor network. Uh, but those coins will become a lot more private. And then you can move them onto your cold storage device. I strongly recommend shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten because I love Douglas and the team. They are great fun. They've got some great merch as well. Awesome t-shirts. But their, their hardware wallet is excellent or their signing device, uh, if that's what you prefer to call it. You can use the BitBox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Get across the Pacific Bitcoin. If you're not FOMOing, yet, FOMOing in yet, 
you probably should be. Use the code PRINCE for a discount. Enjoy this rip with Victoria. All right, we're recording. We're here with Victoria. How are you doing? Good to see you again. I'm very well, thank you. We a little bit of context for the listeners. We actually met when we were in the um, the Bitcoin Adventure Weekend at the Avon yeah. Valley Adventure Park at the beginning of July, and you were one of the first presentations of the day, if not the first. Um, I was the first, yes. There you go. I was going to say you were definitely the first one I caught, so it was the first one. And I was sitting there thinking, who is this lady? And then within about three minutes of your presentation, I'm like, oh, shit, where has she been hiding? She is fully <laughs> down the rabbit hole here. And uh, your, your presentation was excellent. And you ended it with the poem, which we'll end today with, uh, because I want you to read the poem, if you don't mind, at the end of the show. Oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into all of that good stuff, um, Lauren is going to fire away with the first question. Hello, Lauren. How you doing? Who was also at that same weekend, but you probably didn't realize because she was on the slides the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so my question is, what do you, well, sorry, what's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? What's my favorite thing about Bitcoin? Well, I just think it's, it's a tool that will transform the world. <laughs> so in a nutshell. So I think it it completely it completely creates a new foundation for society that has long needed. So, and will be great for your future if we can do it right. At this absolutely, point, absolutely, absolutely. I had my daughter at the at the at the meeting. Did you meet her? Did you see her, Lauren? She was uh, sitting next to me with my books. I don't think so. Probably might not have noticed. How old are you? You're 11, yeah. My daughter's 14, so she's close, close to your age. Mm. Yeah. If if she wasn't on the um on the slides or in the foam pit or what else were you doing? Well, just you? running around in general, the whole campsite. Really? I, I, I met your daughter very briefly because uh, I came over and, and got the book from you, and I think she took the lightning payment from me, which was always good to uh see. <laughs> Yeah, it was a real struggle persuading her to go, actually. I really had to bully her into it. I was like, Bethany, you have no choice. This is what we're doing this weekend. And um, But I think in the end, she enjoyed it. And Because I tried persuading her that there would be other kids there, but uh, even that didn't persuade her. You know, I think they get to a stage where they like their own group and uh, not necessarily sociable with other people. When they're little kids, they'll make friends with anybody. But I think when they get to kind of teenage, they're much more precious about who their friends are or who aren't so um but yeah I think in the end she enjoyed it I think it's good to include the kids on on these things because they start to know what it's about I mean um I think she's got a friend at school who talks a lot about bitcoin but he seems to be mostly interested in the fact that it's risen a lot in price so it's a way to get rich um which she kind of turns her nose up at um and, you know, I won't argue with the fact that there's been, um, you know, huge, huge rise in the price over time. And certainly, you know, that's one of the ways I was able to escape being a dentist. Don't necessarily think that that's going to be, 
um, quite as possible in the future, because as we both know, you know, the dynamics of the way in which the price works is that the amplitude of the of the price movements will decrease over time. Um, obviously, the ones right at the beginning were very exciting, which kind of got everyone interested in it. But I think the ones who are still hoping for such stratospheric rises in the price might be, you know, a bit disappointed if they're hanging out for that longer term. Um, I think there still will be movements in the price, but, you know, you're not going to get like 100x <laughs> rises in your investment or anything like that. So, um, so yeah. So, yeah, it's very, I think it's very, very clever the way it was designed in terms of, you know, because the price rises definitely uh, encouraged an awful lot of interest right at the beginning. You know, some would argue possibly not the best kind of interest and and certainly, um, you know, maybe undermines some of the other life transforming aspects of the technology. But just the fact that it's got that interest at, at the very least has got everyone talking about it um, and uh, and taking an interest. And, and so by default, you've already got, you know, a, a very focused community, you know, laser laser focused on the price and um you know as people talk about it and get more interested in it you discover all of the other really fascinating features as well um you know which I, I just think is amazing you know in terms of inventing something that could be so world transforming all the different elements of it that elude elude to that um and it kind of fact, factors in human psychology so you kind of get all the people who are greedy first of all but then of it's like people say, you know, you, you come for the, you come for the, um, you know, money and then stay for the technology or, or come for the Lambos, stay for the, stay for the revolution or whatever it is, um, you know, and it's, and it's so true. And I think, you know, for that reason, I just think it's so clever, um, you know, it really kind of, I don't know, it kind of, when you consider what we're up against um, mm. and, you know, it's not that it's, you know, I think I think human beings are, are fundamentally good, but they definitely have some weaknesses. And it's definitely possible to take advantage of the worst aspects of humanity if you are looking to bring out the worst in people. Um, but it's almost like the technology has kind of tricked the people who are has, has tricked the people who are who have the worst aspects of their nature, but it kind of creates a whole new foundation to motivate the right motivations you know if you if, if you think about it the way in which we've got a world the world as it is at the moment has just got all the wrong incentives so it's like a it's like a new technology designed with all the right incentives and it gets all the worst people in first and because they're greedy you know they kind of stay in too long when it's going up and they get in too late when it's going down and so you know a lot of people you know, they worry about the fact that, you know, won't be, it be all these people who own all the Bitcoin in the beginning. It's just like, well, just the very nature that kind of drew the drew it drew them into that technology in the first place will be the thing that gets it out big that, you know, leave makes them get out when it's when it's too early. And ultimately it's the people who are in it for the right reasons who will stick with it for the right reasons. And ultimately the whole thing balances out. Um so, yeah. you know, and just just those sorts of intricacies as well. I just think, I just think it's amazing. <laughs> Every day there's another epiphany. Uh, right, Lauren just has to run off. So if you yeah. just want to say goodbye and thank you. <clears throat> goodbye, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, nice to meet and, you. And we'll Thank keep you. Uh, we'll keep pulling on some of these threads because there are a few things there uh, and some you know great sayings that have been uh, or memes that have been um, kind of built around what you're talking about. Uh, and I remember, I mean, I'll attribute it to Gladstein because it was the first time I'd I'd heard anyone say it. Um, you know, Bitcoin is a tool that turns greed into freedom, and it's exactly what you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. And another one, um, you know, yes. Bitcoin isn't a get rich scheme. It's an earn your freedom deliberately scheme. And if you have got I haven't the heard patience, those sayings. Very good, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's exactly what you were saying. Um, because if you do come in, the, the greed brings you in because even a 14-year-old boy sitting in a classroom is talking about, oh, my God, I could get rich quick. And, you know, he, it's greed. It's pure greed. Yeah. yeah. It's that emotion. Yeah. But if he sticks with going down that path and figuring out, right, I need to get a paper round. I need to, uh, you know, get a job in a shop. I need to mow people's lawns, wash people's cars, whatever it is to get as much money as I can to buy as much Bitcoin as I can to be rich when it goes up. (laughs) I hope he does that. And (laughs) I don't think Bethany says that he's done that, but, you know, um, we can always hope. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Eventually might figure it out. (laughs) So let's um, kind of like wind it back to before you found Bitcoin. And um, I mean, I've read your book, Truth Decay. It's a brilliant book, brilliant play on words as well. And uh, it's the first Bitcoin book my parents, well, my mother has read because I had it with me. Wow. What did she think of it? Uh, confused because it's the first she's heard me talk about it and now she's read the book and she's like it's clearly affirming some of the things that I've been talking about and you know what it is like especially for boomer generation to um, to face up to the facts that the the whole thing is a lie everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but somehow they're sitting pretty in their nice house and um, no mortgage. And when they look down at the younger generation, instead of feeling any kind of, and I, you know, I don't blanket this across the whole boomer generation. Please don't anybody think that, but for certain people, it's like, well, they're so lazy. They're so entitled. And that narrative gets driven by mainstream media as well. You know, this, this divisive generational war Mm -hmm. that is always completely push down people's throats it's you know it's the young'un's fault it's the olden's fault or it's the it was the gray vote for example when they were just cha- channeling all of that brexit kind of anger and divisiveness back in uh, 2000 um, well between 2016 and 2020 um so when when they're faced with this idea that <laughs> guys you've all benefited from this fiat Ponzi scheme, <laughs> which started in 1971. And you were just by default, you know, drinking from the spigot. You were literally the, you know, at the forefront of the Cantillon effect right there without even knowing it. And it's very mm. difficult because very, you know, a lot of people are very proud of what they've achieved. They've retired. Yeah. They've got their house. Yeah. There's no mortgage on it. And rightly so, they and should they be proud. All themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is the problem we face when we're talking with that uh, generation. So this is definitely, um, she she liked the book. She read it all. She had further questions about it. Um, I hope 
it's enough now for her to go and want to learn from another book. But we will see. We will see what happens. But you... What questions did she have? Um, <laughs> about how it could possibly change humanity. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is just still some kind of... And, you know, you got to remember, some people still think the internet's a fad. But yeah. the, the idea, which, you know, changed humanity in its own right. Mm -hmm. My goodness, mm -hmm. look, look how far we've come. I mean, let, let's say 1999, probably um, 2000, when everybody really did start getting online and, you know, um, email really became a thing in everybody's lives, not just the early adopters. That was only 22 years ago. And Bitcoin yeah. is only 13 years. Uh, so when, when people, yeah. when you try and explain what we know, what we see, how it fundamentally mm -hmm. changes societal behavior and mm -hmm. it, drop these truth bombs. You're like, yeah, what are you talking about? Like, no, yeah. it can't. No, it won't. Yeah. It, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So let's go back before you fell down a Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, career yeah. in dentistry. Why dentistry? Mm -hmm. After you left school, were you, is this a family thing? Were you pushed that way? Was it a true calling? Where was your mind around 18, 19, 20 years of age when you were making these big decisions? Well, I was 15, actually. And it definitely, my family definitely didn't push me into it. Quite the reverse, in fact. My dad was trying to persuade me not to, not to do it. Um, basically, I got to 15 when I was choosing my options and I didn't want to just go to... I didn't want to go to university to just study a subject. And also I'm the eldest of six. And, you know, my dad always struggled with money. He, you know, um, I'd ask my pocket money and he'd tip his change purse onto the bed and then count out his coppers. And after he'd given me my pocket money, he had nothing left. And so I had, I always had this feeling of guilt around money. And I was just like, so I was really motivated. I was like, I am going to find a way to never be in this situation again I didn't want to have to def I didn't want to have to ask anybody for for money so I've always had a bit of an issue with that um so I was very motivated I wanted to do something I wasn't necessarily motivated by money but I was definitely motivated by freedom you know I didn't want to be in a situation where I depended on anybody else and so I wanted a career that I felt was practical I was quite good at sciences when you know it was unusual to be good at sciences so you know, I thought, well, I might as well make the best use of that. Um, and basically, I just spent, you know, two weeks in the careers library. And I was like, by the end of this two weeks, I want to decide what I'm going to do. And so I had this list of things that I wanted, a list of things that I didn't want. And eventually, I decided that de dentistry fitted the bill. So from the age of 15, that's what I decided that I wanted to do. Um, and then when I did my, when it came to doing my A-levels, I did maths, uh, chemistry and biology. And I was always quite good at maths, but the chemistry and biology, you know, it's a huge jump from GCSE to A-level. And um, I didn't, you know, within a few weeks, I didn't like chemistry or biology at all. And I actually considered um, dropping them to AS level because I'd started them already and taking an A-level in computer science instead, because my dad... Um, he, you know, he worked in the Navy and um, the Navy was always at the kind of forefront of technology, whichever new gadget they had. And my dad was always a kind of a bit of a, 
he'd take advantage of anything that he had the opportunity to take advantage of. And so if a new piece of equipment came in, he'd bring it home so that we could all play on it. So, you know, we would we would get to play with these things that people were talking about. And normally at that stage, they were very expensive. So we like had the ZX81s where you kind of had the... That you played the tennis with the the curses and 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 the ball or whatever, and you know basically you spent all day you know pressing the X Y button or whatever. But it was fascinating because it was new, so we'd been exposed to that. And my dad was very much into you know you should study you know computer you computer studies because that's the future. And I signed up to do um you know computer science for GCSE level but they didn't really have a proper GCSE then so I'd spend like a Wednesday morning four hours on a Wednesday morning you know just kind of doing interior designs with pixels on a, on a computer and it was kind of fun but it didn't lead to a GCSE because it wasn't even structured like that at that time but I was given some exposure to it so I was always very comfortable with computers but I was just growing at, up at a time where they hadn't really structured it yet and so, you know, when my dad said going to computers, it was just a bit nebulous. I didn't really know how to kind of take that forward. So I thought about doing the changing to do the computer science GCSE, but there was a girl in my biology class and she said, oh, I don't think Victoria's clever enough to do that. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> who are you to say that? But in the end, I was just kind of like, well, I can't think of anything else that I really want to do apart from dentistry. I wasn't overly keen. I also remember asking people at the time kind of saying, well, what happens if I don't like dentistry? Is there anything I can do? And they said, well, it's still a degree. You should be able to do something. But in reality, that's not true. I mean, when I when I my first job that I had, in, one of my first jobs that I had in London, there was another girl who decided she didn't like dentistry and she'd gone around all of the investment banks, you know, trying to get a job with her dental degree. And they just looked at her going, why do you want to do this when you train to be a dentist? And so, you know, unfortunately, once you've kind of put yourself in that category, it's very difficult for other people to see you differently. Um, you know, even if you've got a degree and, and it's a job that requires you to be very capable, um, it can actually be a bit of an effort to kind of make make a switch. And so I wasn't that happy about it, but um but after five years at university, you know, um, I mean, when I wanted to do dentistry, my dad said, mm, I don't think it's a good idea. I was applying in 1992 and the government had just cut all the funding um, for dentists. So, you know, one side effect of that was it was fairly easy to get in. I mean, now I think you need three A's to get into dentistry. But at the time, the typical offer was a B and two C's. And two of the places I applied to gave me a three C offer. So they were, you know, it was relatively easy, easy to get into dentistry then. Um, but there were people around me at the time who kind of said, you know, who were, who were more aware of the political situation than I was, because I mean, I was just 18. I wasn't paying attention to that. I had no idea about the bigger picture. But in my head, you know, I knew what a dentist was. I'd been to the dentist myself. I, I had some conception of what it would be. It looked like a fun job. I had an idea in my head of what it would be like to be a dentist or what the potential would be to be a dentist. Um, and so that's kind of what I went with. And I've always been the kind of person who was very um, focused on what I saw with my vision, regardless of what anyone else said about it. So anyway, I finally got to dental school and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, within a year, I was just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, teeth would be a bit more interesting. You know, you do get to a stage where, you know, there are more interesting... I mean, some people find it fascinating and they really get involved with it. And it's a very demanding job it requires you know it requires many different skills and I think that appealed to me as well you know the fact that there were so many things that 
kind of went into it. You didn't just have to be intellectual. You also needed some practical skills. Um, you needed to be manually dexterous. You also need to be good with people. Um, you know, there were the political and financial and the business. So there are lots of areas that you can kind of focus on if you if you go go into dentistry. And, you know, some people love it. You know, they really, they really, really do. And I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I tried my best, but um, you know, and you know, it had some moments. I had some interesting moments being a student and in the early days of my career. I mean, I, I studied in London. Um, you know, I spent some time working in London. Um, I got involved in various political organizations. Um, you know, I won some prizes. Um, you know, in many respects. I did very well, you know, in the early stages of my career, I ended up working for some of the corporates, I ended up working in Boots head office, handling their complaints. I then ended up being one of their regional clinical directors when the business ended up getting sold to Optical Express a Dental Clinic. But just before they did that, they'd recruited me as one of their regional clinical directors. So in many respects, I'd achieved a lot in that career. But from my perspective, I was just trying to figure out where I fitted in really, because there was nothing that I really liked I was capable of all of it, but I didn't love it. Um, and eventually I just, you know, I did that for about 10 years and I was just like, well, fair enough. They're all doing it wrong. I'll, I'll show them how to do it right. And so I decided to set up my own business. But of course I did that um, just before the financial crisis hit, which gave me a whole other series of problems. So for 10 years, I'd kind of mastered the dentistry aspect. And then of course I was on my own figuring out the business aspect and long story short, that's how I ended up getting interested in Bitcoin, because for the first 10 years, I was very focused on, you know, the whole battle between NHS and private dentistry. You know, I, I you know, a lot of people, especially the Brits, they absolutely love the NHS. They're completely wedded to it. They think, you know, we're going to save the world because we've got this NHS system. And so. You know, and I had friends at dental school who were just kind of they were committed to it as well. You know, it's like such an amazing thing and we need, and we need to contribute to it. But I had a different perspective. I mean, obviously, I tell the story in my book of my mother's. She was always terrified of doctors. Then she had an experience where, you know, she really didn't want to go back to hospitals to have her seventh seventh baby and the doctor ended up striking her off her list. And, you know, the night the baby was born, you know, there was like seven ambulance men and two doctors and and god they were, the house was just full of people because the whole of hampshire health authority knew about this woman who refused to do what the doctor was telling her to do um and so you know these were the things that i witnessed when i was a kid and it was just like mm, there seems something to be not quite right about this whole situation you know i mean my mother's perspective was, you know, okay things do go wrong when a baby is born but you know sometimes by saving that baby you know if they end up handicapped for life or whatever, you know, that's a huge burden on the family. We all like, already have six children. You know, if something's wrong, nature will take care of it. And she kind of, so she kind of saw it much more from that philosophical kind of, you know, religious perspective. And she really didn't want all of the interference. And so she ended up getting in the interference right at the last minute. And, and um, you know, some would argue if she'd had more help earlier, maybe, you know, that wouldn't have been the eventual outcome. But but the whole process for watching her as her daughter, it was very distressing. And, um, and she had, you know, she'd had bad experiences having some of her other children as well. It's like, you know, my, one of my sisters was born premature and the doctors wouldn't let her hold her for three months. And my mum then had a problem bonding with the baby and, 
you know, because it was just, you know, in the early 70s, they had a whole different perspective on that. If the baby was premature, it went straight in an incubator and that was it. You weren't even allowed to touch it. Whereas now they're much more, you know, into, you know, skin on skin contact. And, you know, my mother, she was like in her early 20s at the time and she had no way of knowing how to stand up for herself and how to handle that situation. And it was very, very distressing. And so, you know, I grew up with all of these stories kind of thinking, you know, it's not right that people are in that situation, really. And of course, one of the problems with it being a centralised organisation is that they have very rigid rules about how they do things. I mean, okay, eventually things change, but there's a huge battle. And and from my perspective, it was like, well, why did it even get like that in the first place? So, so, you know, and I, I did consider being a doctor because I'd, I'd listened to all these stories and I kind of thought, well, maybe if I became a doctor, I could help maybe change some of this kind of stuff. But then, you know, I felt that doctors had a much more difficult moral conundrum. You know, if you're working in a system where it says you can only do it this way, but you have a moral perspective that diverges with that, it's difficult to do it differently because the way in which the NHS is set up. Whereas I felt with dentistry, because the moral arguments weren't quite so... um, difficult shall we say you know there was there were ways in which you could kind of do it differently and people weren't kind of condemning you to hell or you know whatever other nasty things they wanted you to do so you know dentistry was a way of kind of being experiencing the medical profession but without being put into such moral dilemmas um so I think that's in the end, that's one of the reasons why I went for dentistry rather than medicine. The other thing was at the time when I was a teenager, there were loads of news reports about, um, you know, young doctors not getting enough sleep. And I was just like, I want my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that was another another reason I kind of went for dentistry in, in, instead of medicine. So, I mean, I just consider medicine, but, you know, dentistry felt felt um, like a better choice um, in many ways. So, the NHS, man. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm here to rag on the NHS for as long as you like. I mean, centralized structures, completely misaligned incentives, uh, like the idea of the doctors, you know, seeing something wrong but not being able to change it. One because the training they've received is fiat centralized NHS training. Two, yeah, they can't because if they do something yeah. outside of the box ticking list then they're liable to be fired or sued. Uh, And three, their whole pension, their whole retirement completely depends on them following the fucking rules. So how are we ever going to innovate in a system like that? It's just retarded. It truly is. And interesting fact and someone please fact check me uh i believe when the nhs was formed the first subsidy or first funding given was to dentistry and the um dentistry was the first one that introduced charges for patients and it took three years right okay yeah so the charging patients directly or charging the government on behalf of patients yeah so the original i so i've written many essays on this because it did actually it did actually come up um because i studied for an mba at one point and uh it gave me an opportunity to kind of like look at these things in more detail because i was looking for alternative career options but i was also very interested 
in the way in which dentistry developed. So I think the NHS was developed, was introduced in 1946 by a politician named Anurin Bevin. And the idea, and it actually came about as a result of, you know, a lot of the soldiers fighting in World War Two. You know, one of the reasons they were only able to persuade the soldiers to actually go and fight was because they had this promise of a welfare system if they if they won the war. But of course, the only way they were ever going to be able to afford it was because by then they'd already messed with the money system. But that's a whole other topic of conversation <laughs> related, of course. Um, but the idea was that they were going to provide a health care that was free at the point of delivery. And that's still the mantra towards the NHS in the first place. But of course, the moment you create a service that's free at the point of delivery, if you understand economics, is you immediately distort the supply and demand curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so up until that point, you know, the demand for medical services was kept at a certain level. And of course, they'd done all their projections based on the way in which the medical services worked at that point in time. But of course, by making it free at point of delivery, immediately you increase the number of people who demand it. Um, and so whatever they'd budgeted for was clearly not going to be enough. And so within three years, they realized that, you know, they they were going to be in serious trouble financially. And so they had to start introducing, you know, patient charges just to try and put a little bit more of that, you know, reduce the demand possibly. But of course, the moment they do that, you're effectively creating a monopoly because you're setting the price for something and you're still distorting the supply and demand curve because you haven't got a free market that's actually determining the prices. You know, you've got you've now got a government run monopoly. Um, and, you know, if, again, if you studied economics, you know, monopolies create all sorts of distortions um, in the economy. So, you know, the moment they introduced the NHS, the free market for healthcare was completely destroyed in this country. And even once they, even though it was, it was um, no longer completely free at the p- point of delivery, it was still heavily subsidised and still is to this day. And that's all part of you know, the the political problem. So, yeah, so they introduced um, charges for um, dentists and also opticians, um, Mm -hmm. because I think opticians, it was the same thing. And probably for the same reasons that I've already um, discussed, you know, there are less moral issues, I think, with those those aspects of healthcare that are obvious to discuss. I mean, the politicians now, if they talk about healthcare, they get, they get very uptight about, you know, the hospitals and the doctors, but you know, all of the other medical services tend to kind of, then they're not so much of an issue um, unless it gets really bad, like it is right now with dentistry. (laughs) Well, And then of course, you know, they might discuss it a little bit because everyone's up in arms. And then once you have this behemoth um, formed back in 1946, that then of course leads to all of the sharks swimming around in the water, the, the the pharmaceutical companies or anyone that can now come in and supply this huge beast, which they know yeah. is government backed, which has completely yeah. like never ending pockets. This drives yeah. an incentive of bad behavior of people just trying to push their products into this. And they field. can set their prices. Yes. And and the public has no idea what it costs. And they can lobby. They can lobby who they need to lobby. And those that are easiest lobbied are those that rise in power quicker. Uh, And then again, I I was reading a little uh, bit around this. And I think I even brought this up with you perhaps in a DM a long time ago. Um, It suddenly dawned on me. It's like, whoa, I must have been watching some old movie or something. And somebody had um, 
or maybe there was a meme. I can't remember, but it was a flashback of fake teeth in a glass next to um, a woman's bed. And it mm-hmm. reminded me of my grandmother. And it's like, mm-hmm. damn, no one has that anymore. Like the the, the, the classic <laughs> old dentures. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. drove that? What was that all about? So I found some little articles and whatever else discussing the fact that um, dentures were heavily pushed onto the NHS system in the UK um, not long after it had been formed and probably around the time that you're talking of when there was a slight um, patient um, charge. And it's it was directly targeted at pregnant women. And the narrative was um, being pregnant uh, can inflame your gums and your teeth can fall out or something like that. So they were yanking teeth, perfectly healthy teeth, out of women's heads, young women's heads, and replacing them with full sets of dentures. Well, to be fair, I think this actually harkens back to before the NHS, because wow. because dentistry was so expensive. What used to it used to be tradition that on the twenty first birthday they'd have all of their teeth taken out and have it replaced with dentures, because the idea was it would reduce the expense of you needing dental care when you were older oh my goodness yeah so my I remember my mum telling me that story because again you know my grandmother had full dentures and it was just the way things were done back then so you know as much as we criticize the NHS you know it has done some good things I mean um the fact that there has been some centralized investment has made certain medical techniques available that wouldn't have been made available when you did have it in a in a free market economy so there's always a balance to these arguments um you know and and you could also argue that you know because we've had you know this fiat currency there've been i mean some people say you know the the way in which humanity has progressed in the 20th century in terms of technology has just been phenomenal. It's like it's never been so fast. So um, the freeing up of the finances to a certain extent did facilitate that development. Now, we know, of course, that can't go on forever. And the people who get it at the beginning um, benefit more than the people who get it at the end. Um but what happens is when you kind of like loosen that monetary policy, when especially when you remember that they'd had so much discipline for 50 years, you know, the whole of Europe was on a gold standard. So people have been used to the fact that, you know, that we're constrained by what we can do because this is the amount of money we had. And of course, it was the First World War that kind of forced them to release the purse strings. And so... You know, I think what happened in the early 20th century is some people kind of went, well, the damage has kind of been done now. At least, you know, maybe we could argue for some of this wealth to go to, you know, the poorest in society. And of course, that's how a number of these welfare systems came about. And I think a number of the arguments at the time were very well intentioned. Um, You know, as much as we complain about it now, there were things at the beginning of the 20th century that were way worse than they are now. Um, and, you know, a lot of these professions are filled with good people who are trying to do the very best they can in the circumstances that they have. But of course, what they're not aware of is that is what's facilitated that. And the fact that what facilitates it isn't going to last forever. And in fact, it creates other much greater problems. Um, and uh and, and there, def- there definitely are problems. I mean, as much as you can and look at the good advantages of it, 
there are also definite disadvantages in, in the increasing centralization of the organization. You also get to the stage where the top levels of the organization are very much based around groupthink. There's not a lot of innovative thinking. There's very uh, little room to maneuver. Ideas become embedded, really difficult to challenge them, especially even when they're doing it wrong. Um, so yeah, so there are always arguments on both sides, but yeah, I mean, it was standard procedure at that time for, you know, 21 year olds to have all their teeth removed and to have dentures. And I remember even when I was a, a student, you know, my mum came in because she needed um, some treatment and she said to one of the lecturers, said, if you say I need to have all my teeth out, I don't mind. And the lecturer was kind of like, going... <laughs> of course, by that stage, you know, it definitely wasn't the thing to do. But she was her mind was kind of blown that, you know, this woman was even prepared to consider that. It's like, mum, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Eventually I persuaded her and she still has all her teeth and she's very grateful. But um, it was, you know, just that perspective. Very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, let's put a pin in the NHS. I think enough has been said. Um, you left the NHS, you started your own business. Yeah. You found Bitcoin uh around this time i remember reading your book because you were trying to find a way to accept bitcoin into your business so where did mm -hmm. the light start sparking for you with regards to bitcoin and business and economics and money and currency your your kind of little peek into the rabbit hole when did that start occurring and why <laughs> well i mean being a dentist definitely left me with a lot of struggles over the whole NHS private thing. So, um, um, which we've touched on already. And so quite early on in my career, I decided that private dentistry was the way to go. I was very much more the kind of, you know, the free market provides more balance in this situation. And of course, by this stage, the, the NHS was already starting to suffer um, under the government just by the fact that there were fee cuts and it was quite obvious that it was really difficult to deliver what I um, had been trained to do if I if I just stayed working within the NHS so and of course what you can say is like the NHS is more the fiat system and private dentistry is more the free market system but of course you're competing with something in the fiat system so I had a lot of work to do to kind of understand that economically um, and like I said earlier you know I did I did study for an MBA which gave me the chance to um, study in more detail and in fact I remember on my MBA in one of my economics lectures just having this light bulb moment when it was just when he started talking about monopolies and I was like that's it the NHS is like government monopoly but it hadn't occurred to me before no one had really explained it like that um so you know even even before I came across Bitcoin there were certain things I really had to work out in terms of history the NHS how the government worked so I was kind of primed to understand it um, and of course, so I'd spent about 10 years, you know, working in this private system, competing with the NHS. And in the end, and at the time, it was very common for there to be practices that kind of did a mixture of NHS and private treatment. Um, and I found that really difficult because part of the benefits of private treatment was being able to spend more time, use better materials, get a better result. But it was constantly compromised when you were trying to mix it with NHS. So I, I felt that it was much better to kind of keep the two things separate. Um, but it was very difficult to find somewhere to work that did that. 
Um, I worked for Boots for a while, who had a chain of dental practices, and they'd set themselves, they had clearly had the same idea and had set themselves up as a purely private chain of dental clinics. Um, and so eventually I kind of worked for them and got some insight from working at, at head office. And but of course, the problem with having just a purely private um business model is that um it's incredibly expensive, especially when you're competing with the NHS. You know, there are certain subsidies that you'll get from the NHS. So, for example, when I was working in uh, my private practice, all dentists are required to do um, training in um, how to handle emergencies every year. And if you have a contract with the NHS, they'll provide it free. But in my little business with myself, my nurse and my hygienist, if I wanted to do that with a private organisation, they wanted to charge me a thousand pounds. And, you know, when I was still in the early stages and building up my list. So those are the sorts of costs that aren't necessarily seen on the surface. And so, you know, so there were certain uh, peculiarities of kind of running a business model like that. But because I'd worked for Boots, I was like, well, Boots can do it. I can do it. Having no idea of the reason why Boots eventually closed. And it was partly because, you know, they'd been running for five years and still hadn't made a profit. And by the time they closed, you know, they'd lost 60 million. But I mean, they had a whole chain around the country, not just one little one little practice. But I had no idea about that. You know, I was just very idealistic. It was like, this is what my patients need. This is what I want to deliver. And so I had some savings and I'd never had a problem getting a loan from a bank. Um, and uh, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll just do this. So I got some lease agreements for some equipment. And at the time they set them up and they said it'd be 11 percent, 11 interest rate. And I was like, yeah, that'd be fine. 2007. <laughs> oh, my God. And um, and of course, you know, and, and so I kind of I took out a loan that was like the equivalent of a mortgage of a small house at 11 percent over five years. Um, so, you, you know, you can just imagine. But I was you know, I'd done my I'd done my business projections. It would be fine, you know, based on what I'd earned as, as an associate. But of course, you know, because I was starting from scratch, I mean, people knew me in the area and I knew some of my old patients from Boots would probably find me again because that's why I gave my business uh, the title of my name so they could find me again. But it was still really slow. And not only that, you know, it was December 2007 when I first opened. I had my daughter in February 2008 because there'd been some delay with the leases. Um, so because I was starting from scratch, you know, it was like one or two patients a day where most dentists are used to seeing, well, in a private practice, you know, 10 to 15. So um, so you can imagine what was happening to my cash flow. So um, and of course, I just had this baby, which was fine because I knew it would take time to build up the business. So I was like, well, if I've got more time, I can spend more time with her and build my business up at the same time. You know, from that perspective, it was fine. But the only thing I hadn't really thought about properly was the finances. And so by September 2008, I'd kind of exhausted my savings. A big part of the problem was these loan payments that I was having to pay every month, even though I wasn't getting any income from the business. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? But it never really worried me because whenever I'd gone to the bank before as a dentist, I'd never had any problems borrowing money. But of course, September 2008, no bank on the planet was lending money to anybody. It didn't matter who you were, um, you know, and I, I remember going into Lloyd's and kind of saying, I don't know what to do. I've got no money. It's like, not my problem. You know, right. they had enough problems, you know. So and it's the first time in my life. Well, my professional life, I never felt like that. I mean, obviously, I told you at the beginning of the, the story of my father, but it was like the same kind of feeling again. It was like, what the hell am I going to do? This is what I need. Um 
And so it was really, really stressful. And in the end, the, the way I survived was I paid for my business expenses using my credit cards. And um, and I think, you know, I, I ended up at the time you could get like 0% offers and, um, you know, balance transfer rate. And that is literally what saved me. But there were three occasions where if something had gone wrong with the treatment that I was providing the patient and they hadn't been able to pay, I'd have been bankrupt the following week. And at the same time, I had a small baby and it was just incredibly stressful and I had no idea I mean eventually I had a business coach and he said to me you know if things had been the same as they were before the financial crisis you'd probably been fine I think it was just it, it was kind of bad timing and there wasn't anything essentially wrong with your plan it was just like this kind of disrupted it because of course by starting a private practice as well you're often trying you you have to attract clients that have money that are able to pay for it but of course they were all suffering as well so mm. You know, it was, it was it was a double whammy. So, I mean, I kept going because it was like I burnt my bridges. I had no other options. And at the, at the, at the time I had a house um, that I was trying to sell, but I put it on the market in the summer of 2007 and it ended up taking me seven years to sell it. So that was an additional problem. So I ended up having to, and because I'd had this baby and, you know, and schooling and, <clears throat> you know, issues with their father and stuff like that, I'd had to move around. So just not being able to sell that house is an, addi an additional problem. Oh, it was just, I can't tell you how stressful it was. Um, but um, anyway, I made it, I made it through eventually after about five years, I got a business coach who kind of was able to take me to the next level. And my original plan had been to start in this, had been to start in this small location and then move to a bigger location. And so we got to the stage where my business coach said, right, okay, fine, let's write the business plan for this. And I wrote it and I was like, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. It's just, I don't enjoy it enough to take on that, that level of stress. And, um, and by that stage I had started to, I'd, I'd become interested in Bitcoin. So going back to your original question, sorry, long, long diversion. No, that sets um, it all up though. That, you know, all of those fiat touch points. Well, exactly. And, and so, you know, my unhappiness with being a dentist in the first place, you know, I'd been stuck in the situation for 10 years running my own business and there was no way out. The only way out was to succeed. Otherwise, you know, it was just like game over. And I knew I could, there was no way I was going to let, there's no way I was going to let it fail because I knew it was capable. The, the thing that was, I was struggling with, was, with the, was the financial aspect. So when I got to the stage where I was no longer on the brink of bankruptcy I was able to kind of take a step back and kind of look at what had happened and because it was the financial crisis that had, was the unexpected thing in the whole thing because it was like my business coach kind of you'd have been fine if it hadn't been for that it's like right what what happened <laughs> I need to, to figure blame? this out I'm never going to be blindsided by this ever again um and so of course that's what led me to look into the financial system now before I set up my business, I'd done an MBA and I'd been taught about economics, but I wasn't taught anything about the larger financial system. What it did tell me is how complicated accounts can be. What it also taught me was that there were big businesses who actually had whole sections of their company that were dedicated to finding ways to make money out of the finance. So rather than just putting their money in the bank, they would have a whole department that would look at how to make money from their savings rather than just sitting sitting there not earning any interest. Um, but I think for me personally, not being a big company, although I had, you know, in the back of my head, I had that awareness. The key for me was when I finally sold my house in 2015, it was just like, right, I finally have some money. And it was just so, pre it was such a relief and it was so precious to me. It's like, where is the best place to put this? And so that's what 
because I remembered, you know, when I was a kid, my dad taking us all to the post office because you could get 10% on your savings. But of course, when I got, when I sold my house, it was like, you were lucky if you got 0.01%, even though I've been paying 11% on these stupid business loans uh, that I'd finally cleared. Um, so I was just like, you know, why is it, why is it different? What is it that, that um, makes a difference? And so of course, in that research, I came across the concept of sound money. And I learned about gold and silver first. And so when I understood about why gold and silver was sound money and how the economy used to work before the wars or whatever, I was like, that's really interesting. And so the first thing I bought was some gold and silver. And in fact, I bought it just before the Brexit vote. And then, of course, with the Brexit vote, you know, the price of gold spiked. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but having been a business owner, I was just like, okay, I get it. You know, gold's valuable. It's probably worth worth holding on to for the future. But as a business owner, there is no way on earth it's difficult enough getting to the bank with cash to to store it. You know, the idea of accepting gold and silver coins and having to verify that they're real and they're heavy, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so I was just like, there must be a digital solution. And I'd kind of heard of this Bitcoin thing in my head. I mean, I remember seeing the news reports when um, when it was the price was taking off in 2013. And um, and I think I'd watched an episode of The Good Wife where, you know, I'd only seen a clip of it. I hadn't watched the whole series by that stage where they talked about it when I think in 2011, when it was still um, $3. So I was kind of aware of it, but I never really paid any attention. But when my, my mind kind of went to, well, for for the world to continue as it is it has to be something digital and there seemed to be people talking about this bitcoin thing you know what is that and so when i then discovered that it was a software protocol based around the economic properties of god i was like that's it that's that's the solution and there was no looking back i mean i was at the um i was at the hackers congress in prague at the weekend and uh, i was talking to this guy from Los Angeles, who was talking about the fact that he had heard about Bitcoin in 2013 and he ignored it. And I said, oh, when did you finally take an interest in it? I think it's 2018 or something. And I said, when I first heard about it, I think it took me six months, six months to decide I wanted to accept it as a payment method in my business. And then six months after that, I was like, sod this, I'm selling the business, this is the future. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I did accept it in my business. But the thing is, just in the process of learning about this, because once I realized what its financial potential was as well, because, of course, this was 2017, when I realized what its financial potential was, I was just like, you know, I could put myself in a situation where I never have to work again. And if that were the case, what would I do? And the first thing that popped into my head, I would not be doing this. And it was just like, it was just like a sign from the universe. It was just like, okay, fine. Because when my business coach first met me, the first thing he said to me was that I should sell the business. And I was just, I didn't feel like I wanted to. I hadn't felt like I'd achieved anything yet. But by the time that idea occurred to me and I'd learned about Bitcoin, I knew that there was something else that I was interested in. I mean, by that stage, I'd come home. I wasn't interested in dentistry at all. I'd just spend my entire evening watching YouTube videos about Bitcoin. And I was just like, this is clearly what I'm interested in. You know, why am I wasting my energy doing something that I really, really, really don't want to do when this is um, clearly an interest? And so, you know, that was the point at which, right, business coach, how quickly can you get me out of here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. I sold my business in three months. He said it's like the fastest 
wow. practice sale he'd ever he'd ever managed in his entire career. And so, uh, yeah, did he you said, did you hoon into Bitcoin with uh, once that was done? Were you smash buying uh, like a sailor style up all all night just trying to get as much <laughs> Bitcoin as you Not could? Complete- Not completely, because I'm not stupid. You know, you always have to hedge your bets. You can't, you know, you can't, nothing's 100% guaranteed, but it was a heavy bet. And certainly it was enough to keep me out of dentistry. Well, it was four years ago that I gave my job and haven't had to go back to it yet. And I'm still wealthier than I ever was as a dentist. So (laughs) you earned your financial freedom. That is what Bitcoin is here to do. And this is what a lot of listeners will be like smiling from ear to ear, because when we hear about uh, some of our bitcoin maxi plebs out there that have managed to free themselves from their fiat life um Mm -hmm. i just i get insanely bullish every time i see just one person tweet just left my fiat job it's like yes go do what you're meant to do whatever that is whatever it is if it's a book if it's a youtube channel if it's a podcast because the next step is naturally to educate as many people about bitcoin as you can or, or set up a fund you know there are more and more people now setting up funds um that have uh, you know got to that point where they've realized i'm good for life yeah. how do i help yeah. these other businesses prosper um yeah. so it's it's so great to to hear physical gold and silver is that what you bought or were you buying the gold and silver like in a fund or like just in a um on an exchange before you were doing the bitcoin thing uh physical really but what I will, yeah but i what i will tell you is when the bitcoin price got really low that was the first thing i sold it was right like a bit yeah. Well, it's very interesting to, to <laughs> most people just go straight to some kind of exchange to buy their gold and silver. Mm-hmm. So I would say you're definitely like the one out of 10. How did you force that physical gold and silver uh, source? Excuse me. How did you source the physical gold and silver? Where did you go and find it? And what, what was that process and finding that trustworthy source? Well, there are a lot of places that sell it that seem you know seem very they're very trustworthy and of course if you ask anyone there are various places that would that will recommend it what i would say is when i was buying it in 2016 was it was less onerous now if you try and buy it now if you buy more than 100 grand they want your details you know they you, you know if you if you if you get to the stage where you know that's the amount and even without that you know there was one new place that I tried and they wanted my passport details before they'd sell it to me and I was like no screw you (laughs) (laughs) so um so it's getting more difficult depends where you go of course um but um but yeah so I mean yeah the place I did that I kind of put in the order and I paid for it and then they said oh we need your passport details before we send it to you and I was like well you didn't tell me that when you when you were selling it to me I was just like I demand a refund I won't have it then and uh so there's a lot of toing and froing but I insisted on a refund I wasn't going to give them my passport details I mean the thing is you know these a lot of people don't realize how precious their personal information is and of course mm-hmm. any of these come you can't just give it away randomly you know a lot of these businesses if they get hacked and your passport details are revealed, you know, that's how you get identity fraud and and things like that. So, you know, some of the crypto exchanges, fair enough, because they're, they're they're financial organizations and they have to reach quite a high level of security just to operate with crypto, but someone's selling me gold. No, thanks. (laughs) So, well, 
So it's it's very different now to what it was earlier. But again, you know, that becomes another reason to go for something like Bitcoin rather than gold and silver, because with Bitcoin, you can find someone else who has it, who's willing to sell it for you. You know, some of my early Bitcoin, that's how I got, because, you know, in 2016, there wasn't a lot of, not like now, I mean, now there are podcasts everywhere about Bitcoin, but in 2016, there wasn't much. In fact, mm-hmm. the only thing they'd recommend was find a, find a meetup and, um, you know, meet other people who are interested in it. So I looked for the local meetup and, uh, someone was organizing it and I was the only person who turned up <laughs> so you know at that time it's it's remarkable now when you think about it how little interest there was in it and I you know I I kind of once you kind of get it conceptually it's like how come more people don't aren't interested in this this is unbelievable you know I mean I was very lucky well some would say luck but actually an awful lot of trauma had led up to the fact that I was interested in it. it's part of the thing that primed me to be interested in it but once I figured it out, I was just like, where is everyone? How come they, why, why didn't they get it? <laughs> so um, that's when you become crazy woman, right? Um, talking to your friends and your family <clears throat> and everybody about it. And you need to find that outlet. Uh, and I, I'm guessing, I, I won't assume, um, that must have had a big impetus into you writing the book. Yes, because it, apart from anything else, it was just kind of like, well, I seem to understand this and other people don't. And, you know, and so it was kind of like, well, I I appreciate that it was partly my life experience that maybe led me to understand it. So maybe if I can tell my story and present it in the way, in the step-by-step way in which I came about learning about it, you know, maybe that will, that will work for other people. And so, yeah. And I mean, basically what happened was I, I, I sold my business and that was just a huge relief. And I, I'd been so stressed that, you know, just for a year, I just wanted to decompress. I mean, I'd, I'd have whole day when I'd sit in, in the chair in the lounge, just looking out the window, waiting until, you know, my daughter came home from school, um, you know, because I was completely burnt out. And so for a year, I just wanted to do that. And by then I'd made some friends in the Bitcoin space and I started going to conferences and, and so this is how I spent my year, really. And it was a good opportunity because there are conferences all around the world. I don't really like going to conferences where I don't know anybody. But, you know, I was making a network of friends. So if there were people that I knew were, that were going, then I'd go. And so I got to go to different countries. And eventually, after I'd been to these conferences, the interesting thing that struck me was that I'd go to these conferences and you'd talk to computer programmers who knew nothing about economics. And you'd talk to econo- economists economists who knew nothing about computer science now I'm not a computer science expert but I was around it when I was younger and I always felt comfortable with it when I set up my business I think I was one of the first purely I didn't have any paper records in my practice everything was digital my x-rays were digital you know I've I've always been really comfortable with computers because I've grown up with it so for some reason and because I've been a business owner I'd been forced to learn about the economics so being a dentist hadn't actually given me any specific skill set that related to dentistry, but because it's the kind of uh, profession that requires you to be very flexible across a lot of different skill levels, it meant that I just had all the elements that were there to kind of get it straight away. Um, and I'd go to these conferences and I'd talk to these computer computer science experts who were clueless about economics and economists who are clueless about computer science, like someone needs to bring this together (laughs) so 
yeah so you know after the year was over and I was like well I better start thinking about you know how to run my life because although I had some of my savings in bitcoin there was no guarantee that that was going to last forever and that's still the case you know I can't just rest on my laurels and retire because who knows what could happen so I was like well I need to do something and I was like well this is what interests me the most I've invested the time in learning this for the last year and so you know a book seemed like the most logical thing to do so yeah that's why I wrote it easy process um well I didn't start off I didn't start off thinking I'd write about Bitcoin I just kind of thought well maybe I should write something because I know stuff so I started writing something and I was like well if I was going to write something go to all this trouble you know what would it take to publish it so um I looked online and I came um and you know Google immediately came up with this self-publishing company and um and so I kind of went through their marketing funnel, you know, how they do. And they have various free things at the beginning. One of the first things they did was, you know, do you have an idea for one book or several books? And so and it was a multiple choice question. I said, well, multiple books. And basically, they kind of said the first book you should write is the thing that's easiest for you. And I was just like, well, the thing I've been I was going to write one that's personal. And they said, actually, personal memoirs quite difficult because it kind of brings up a lot of emotional stuff. And I was just like, well you know, the thing I've been learning about for the last year is Bitcoin, you know, maybe I should write a book on that. So, um, so that's what I did. And, and um, they had a process where, you know, you could do it within three months. Um, and so, you know, so that was good, because I had a timetable to kind of keep me structured. And because I was still close to having worked, you know, I followed that process. So it took me six months rather than three months. But of course, I ended up having to it ended up being published just as the pandemic was announced. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, it was a nightmare because literally no one was interested in anything apart from COVID at that point, at that point in time. So I set up a website in order to kind of promote it. And so I've gradually just kind of been working on that with articles and I enjoy making videos. And so, you know, I'm just kind of developing that really and sharing, sharing what I know at the moment, it's a hobby, you know, it may well develop into something in the future, but at the moment, that's where I do most of my research. That's what I feel I have the most to share. And so, yeah, that's where I'd say I'm focusing my energy at the moment. I don't push it because I don't have to. You know, I'm not like in the early stages of my career where I'm having to um, hustle all the time. But it's just like, this is what I know. If you're interested, here you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And are you going to be off to uh, any more conferences in the next three months or so? <clears throat> not in the near future. I mean, it's been quite busy over the summer. I mean, obviously, I met you at the Avon Valley thing and then I was in Mallorca I've just been to Prague and you know traveling as fun as it is it's exhausting you've got to plan the trip you've got to plan all the details you've got to pack then there's you know I mean I came home from Prague on Monday I had to catch it get up at three o'clock in the morning to catch an early mm -hmm. flight and then came back you know family and house stuff and everything it's been a mad week um so you know it's quite nice to just have a few months where I can rest a bit. And there are certain things I want to do with my website that I keep meaning to do that I'm working on that, you know, I haven't really had a chance to do. So I want to work on that in the next few months, I think. But yeah, I think there's a few conferences lined up for next year. Um, I think HCCP is going to have a partner conference in Vienna, which sounds like fun because I've not been there before. Um, I think they're going to have the blockchain hotel might be open again in Essen next year. And I'll probably be back in New York next year as well. So those are all ones that are on the horizon for next year but for the moment I'm gonna stay at home get back into my routine and try and do some work on my website so that when I do go to these conferences I've got something to say because it's getting a bit boring I mean I produced my book in 2020 and it's like everyone's heard of it now it's like yeah but we know you've written a book yeah. like, 
it's getting crazy for conferences and um and meetups actually which is great to see the meetups i think are so valuable Um, like you said you going along to that meetup back in 2016 and being the only person now when you look around the uk there's dedicated county bitcoin groups like you know there's suffolk bitcoin there's essex bitcoin there's bedfordshire bitcoin Mm -hmm. in northampton northamptonshire Mm -hmm. bitcoin it's massive Mm -hmm. it's so great to see and Mm -hmm. uh my um my brother and his uh his girlfriend sam that they started accepting bitcoin in their cafe in the middle of rural suffolk and the bbc were there yesterday filming them so just 10 weeks after accepting bitcoin and um you know that was facilitated via coin corner and uh all of the maxi plebs that live within a two-hour radius are are going there monthly and using their bulk cards and spending bitcoin and tweeting about it it's so great to see it really Mm -hmm. is um yeah Mm -hmm. so there's also silverstone coming up on the 16th of october for the bitcoin racing guys um pete's Mm -hmm. throwing um meetups i I think most if not every home game for for bedford and this it doesn't stop it's gonna keep going and so i'm very Mm -hmm. bullish about what's going on in europe and especially in the uk right now uh all right let's let's start closing it down i'm gonna ask you the final question and then um we'll close on your poem so i don't know if you okay i don't know if you need to grab that um it's in the book behind you i think or if you know it by heart or or whatever um, um might be easier if we just kind of attach the video to the end of the video because I'm the first time I did it at a conference a friend of mine said oh do you want to do your do you want to do your poem and I was like Lindy it took me five minutes to do the poem and a week to do the video if you're going to show anything you show the video so um if I produce if I produce the um if I send out the video I'll, I kind of put a copy of it and I can send you a copy of it if you want to add to the end yeah you want. absolutely the easiest thing to do because I think the pictures make a difference and that's all part of telling the story yeah this is but an audio pod though it's an audio pod is it? so if you oh, can just okay. send me an audio right. file or if you want to read it or I can play it for you okay Shall I play it for you? we could do find, that so you find you find that but first of all I've got to ask you if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? An orange pill. I don't know. Do you think it's more fun to let people discover it for themselves rather than just... Uh... <laughs> well, that that would be pretty... I, I, yeah, like you just leave the orange pill on a park bench or something. And yeah. whoever comes along and discovers it, that was just meant to be. <laughs> That's the first time anyone's come up with that answer. So yeah, why not? <laughs> that's very cool or or given that it's orange you know maybe donald trump could do with it because he still has to figure it out <laughs> get, all the, get all the trumpians behind it that would help yeah definitely 50 percent of america orange peeled right there yeah well that would get the other 50 percent, wouldn't it <laughs> mm-hmm. right so once you've got this poem yep Okay, here I here I go. So hopefully it will come out well. If it doesn't, I can send you the audio video. But Okay, let's try it. Satoshi's page. They call me Cassandra. Some say that's my name. Because those that surround me can't handle the blame. The economy is flailing. You'd think they'd be scared. But when all's said and done, the problem's not theirs. Teachers in schools wash the children's clothes, 
breakfast they give, pizza and toast. Round and round the impoverished go, to the minds of the rich the realisation is slow. In the comfort of homes, I'm alright Jack, whilst depression is looming and laughs harping right back. The comfort of those who can't see past their nose, oh heaven help them, but that's how it goes. Time it is ticking, it now won't be long. Wily Coyote can't tell the cliff has gone. Don't say you weren't warned before all this is done. You thought they were crazy, but the Bitcoin has won. When it is all over and the truth it is told, the story of crisis, it never gets old. The elites in their castles, their fortunes to fold. Economists and politicians left out in the cold. A new world is rising, paper is no more. Money has died, and so has the law. Decay and corruption that went to its core. The blockchain has spoken, no truth like it before. The rules of the software release, or a new game. What will we choose at the dawn of a new age? A potential to trap, trumped by Satoshi's page. A triumph as the devil nurses his rage. So history goes, and what will it bring? A fairer society or form of new king? A new set of rules around us to ring, but with many more choices, a new song it will sing. Our future is fluid, no need to be scared, but rules then and now will needs be compared. A time for philosophy and careful thought. We still have volition, our future's not bought. Softly, softly, tread carefully, now wait. There's no going back once you open the gate. By all means look back, but in truth, it's too late. The dollar fiat Ponzi scheme has sealed all of our fates. Step into the future as boldly as you can. The wisdom of the past needs to inform your plan. The old energies are changing. The negativity is done. Kindness and compassion and creativity have won. It may still seem dark. The new light only a spark. But trust me, it's coming. This ride in the park. We are here to create it. The world we were promised. Every soul on the earth now has the opportunity to comment. The domain of the world, no longer ruled by the few. The power we have, if only you knew. Released from their shackles, humans are free to create everything as it was always meant to be. But careful here, for surely you know, the evil within you has potential to show. So be mindful and careful, but also carefree. The truth you have known, and so it shall be. For love is the energy leading us on to the true potential we were always meant to become. Well done. Well I done. <laughs> I will, I will um, once I've got all that put together, I'll let you know um, whether I just want uh, like the raw audio or whether that's good enough. Uh, it might, it might okay. be cool like that just to keep that raw. Uh, and I will, of course... Mm -hmm put a link in the show notes to the video because then the music will make sense and people will be able to get a sense yeah. of that. Um, I might even have a shot at perhaps asking one of my kids just to read it as well. 
um, which might be yeah. a fun thing to do. Uh, I'll I'll have a think. I'll have a think, and okay. um, I look forward no to problem. I look forward to sharing that with the listeners, and uh, hopefully they'll reach out to you, Victoria, and check out your book. Uh, where should they go to 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 learn more about you? Uh, well, my website is satoshispage.com and on the homepage are all the details of my book. You know, I've got the option to buy it in Bitcoin if you want to buy it from me directly and links to Amazon. And then, you know, I've got a latest news page where I kind of put my latest newsletters and links to my videos and stuff like that as well. Um, and I've got a YouTube channel, all my social media links are on my website as well. So that's probably the best, best place to start. So satoshispage.com. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thank I look you. forward to seeing you, <laughs> seeing you one day again in real life. That would be awesome. And um, well, getting sure to know you a little bit better. Let's hope so. Well, take care. Have a good day. Thank you, Daniel. See you. Take care. Bye. Well, there you go, guys. Thank you again, Victoria, for coming on the show and for your wonderful poem at the end there. I urge all of you to go and check out the poem. I'll put the link in the show notes because she's uh, read it to a bunch of Bitcoin relevant memes as well. So it's it really brings it to life when you actually watch it as well as listen to it. And it's definitely worth checking out because you probably have never heard of Victoria before. I hadn't. And here she is doing amazing work. A true Bitcoiner trying her best to put out as much education as she can around this topic to try and free those people closest to her and anybody else that's willing to just peek into the rabbit hole. Uh, one person at a time, guys. One person at a time. Don't give up. Every single day, just be asking somewhere. If you're out, do you accept Bitcoin? Or do you accept tips in Bitcoin? Because that's uh, a much easier way to get somebody to even consider downloading a wallet of Satoshi or a Moon wallet so you can send across a few sats. Bitcoin is inevitable. Uh, the timeline is volatile. So as long as we're all pushing in the right direction, we can speed this up as, as much as we can. It's down to us. It's a grassroots movement. You guys know this. I'm preaching to the converted. If you're new here and this is one of the first few Bitcoin podcasts that you've found, uh, there are many more out there. Keep digging. There are some incredible content creators as well as books. If you need a book, get across to Consensus Network. That's spelled K-O-N-S-E-S-U-S. And they have been transforming as many Bitcoin books as they possibly can into as many different languages as they can. It's built for the plebs, by the plebs. You can pay with uh, Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. You'll get 10% discount and you'll get further 10% discount if you use the code BITTEN. Go grab a book for yourself or for your loved ones. And merch, streetwear, rock the brand. You can do that with ungovernable misfits. Or you want to hit my link tree in my notes now. I've put the link tree up there. Any Bitcoin company that is offering plebs a discount and are happy to uh, offer that through this show, you will find them on link tree. And you will get discounts to conferences, discounts to merch, discounts to hardware wallets, discounts to all kinds of things. Go and check it out. Just hit the link tree in my show notes and that will just drop you straight through. The code is generally bitten for most of them, but just double check the notes uh, if you are not having that discount added at checkout. Make sure you're stacking. Use Swan, use Relay, use Coin Corner. 
fall down the coin join rabbit hole download what's wasabi wallet dot io give that a give that a whirl and see if that's something that you're interested in keeping up and get across to pacific bitcoin to go meet the swan guys the link as usual is in the show notes or on that link tree or just use code prince at checkout and you'll get yourself a discount on those tickets i look forward to the next show guys thanks for listening